and welcome to the 97th episode of the Weekly Rugby Podcast, The Rugby Conversation. I'm Mr David, a journalist at BBC Sport Wales and as always I'm joined by Westgate Sports Agency writer Stefan Thomas. Hi Steph. Hi. Steph, both of us were at the Aviva Stadium over the weekend as uh, Leinster won the Pro 14 final, beating the Scarlets 40 points to 32. Deserving winners in the end? Absolutely. Um, you know, the the fact of the matter is they've been head and shoulders above any other side in Europe this season, not just the Scarlets. Um, I thought Scarlets were better than they were in the semi-final. Um, it's a Champions Cup semi-final, but ultimately they, they just couldn't... They, the main issue is they couldn't get hold of possession. Uh, Leinster's ball carriers, they weren't quite as, you know, destructive as they were in that semi-final, but they, they kept sort of getting over the game line and they kept holding, keeping hold of possession. Uh, I also thought Leinster kicked better and they completely dominated the aerial game. Um, that, was, that was really crucial. And, you know, the, the Scarlets, obviously, they, they looked very dangerous ball in hand, but sometimes they tried... Scarlets are capable of the impossible almost in terms of their attacking game. They, they always score some of the best tries, you, you know, around, you know, every season there. They're in the, you know, there's a, a couple of scarless tries in, in contention for tries of the season, but they were always looking for a miracle offload and they were trying to force the game a bit too early, uh, whereas they, they should have just kept hold of possession, uh, gone through the phases and tried to stress Leinster that way. But ultimately, I think Leinster's pack was just too strong for them. And uh, yeah, I mean, this is a, is a great Leinster side. And, you know, if you were to do, uh, speaking with my um, friends, um, I went to the game with, you know, if you were to sit back and do um, just just put down the World Rugby rankings and include uh, clubs or provinces alongside international sides, Leinster would probably only be behind the All Blacks and arguably the Crusaders or the Hurricanes, they're that good. You know, they'd be ahead of likes of England, South Africa and um, and maybe even Ireland. So that that's how good Leinster are and they're a, they're a great side and uh, by country mile the best side in the Northern Hemisphere. We have quite a few Scarlet's listeners to the podcast, Steph. Um, did yeah. Leinster show yes in the Viva Premiership in the Guinness Pro 14 final, but also in the Champions Cup semi final a few weeks ago? Just how what it takes to beat this Scarlet's crop under Wayne Pivak? Um, I think it's easier said than done in terms of beating the Scarlet's. I mean, let, let's face it. They, this has been a successful season for the Scarlets. I mean, obviously, they would have liked to have won silverware, but last season, their, their rise to the to the Pro 12 trophy, I mean, they were phenomenal, but there was always the sort of um, question mark over whether they, they peaked and whether it was a flash in a pan, but they've clearly proven that this season it's anything but. A lot of sides have tried to take them on up front. I've gone very direct at them with one, one at ball carriers. Um, and, and there have been periods where they've been under pressure, but for the vast majority of games, they've been able to overcome that. And they've they, they're a very tough side. The Scarlets are, you know, in the past they've always been able to play rugby, uh, pretty rugby. But in the past they've they've not had a, a very strong backbone. They've got a very strong backbone. They're they're good in a street fight, uh, and they've come out on top against the likes of La Rochelle. Uh, Toulon, big, big packs who put them under pressure. They found a way. But Leinster, just a different level to those two, I think, because they combine that level of physicality with 
a great, great kicking game and, and the sort of creativity behind the scrum. I just think Leinster are a different level to other sides and I actually think next season the Scarlet Pack would be a lot better than it is this season. One last one on Leinster. They become the first Celtic team, per se, to win um, a Celtic domestic trophy and also a, a European Champions Cup or Heineken Cup tied in the same season. Um, Leo Cullen uh, in the post-match press conference was asked, how do you better what you've done this season? Would you be able to answer on his behalf, Steph? I, I don't know how they can do better, really. You know, they're just they're just a complete side. Um, they're absolutely sensational. I mean, obviously, they they've had sides like this before in the recent past, and they had they tailed off a little bit, didn't they? But they're back with a bang now. And obviously, they inevitably with any team, there's a bit of they plateau a bit, and there's always going to be a bit of a dip in form. But this Leinster side is so. So so much superior to other sides in Europe, um, that I, I just I just can't really put my finger on where they they can improve. They they're a complete side, and um, they're going to be the team to beat next season in both Pro Fourteen and in Europe. And then one final one for the Scarlets. Quite a few players leaving the region at the end of the season, likes of Ty Byrne or Scott Williams. Um, how difficult would it be for them to be replaced? Well, they have been replaced. Um, you know, in the past, when Scarlets have lost big players, um, they've replaced them with inferior players, haven't they? Um, that's not been the case this time. <coughs> Obviously, they're losing Tyburn, Barkley, um, Arley Davis, and um, uh, Scott Williams. Uh, three of them have uh, been integral part of their success, and Arlett's been been a very good servant for them. But you know, they, they lost Byrne, replaced him with one of the best players in Super Rugby in Blair Thompson, a guy who would have won a lot of caps if it weren't for the fact he's a New Zealander and had a few injuries. Um, obviously, they lost Scott, brought in Fonatia. Scott's probably a better player, but Fonatia, you know, he'd suit the Scarlets a lot more and won't be away with Wales, uh, you know, at international uh, rugby either. Um, obviously, he's left out the small one squad. Um, and uh, it was Eka Seam. Uh, Barkley's been great for the Scarlets, but this is arguably an upgrade on Barkley, I think, because uh, not because he's a better player, but because he's more the type of player they need. Big, strong ball carrier, and also he's younger. Um, so I think that's a good signing. And uh, Ev, clearly, Sam Adalgo Klein's a sen- sensational signing, really. That's a serious depth they've got to scrum off. And across the board, I think it's a, it's a lot stronger side uh, squad next season. And I think, you know, the Scarlets pack is the Scarlets have a good pack. Um, Leinster the only side to have really bullied them this season and they've done that to more sides but next season I think you know Blair Thompson at, well, at lock 6 or 8 whatever he's going to play he's a strong carrier as is Kasim Jake Ball will be back so that pack should have a harder edge to it as well so um, I think next season they'll have a stronger squad all his, all his um, you know there's always concerns over how players settle in you know some players don't settle into certain environments there's always a risk with any signing you could sign Bowden Barrett and it'd be a risk. But um, on the whole, they've recruited well and uh, they'll, they'll be by far the strongest Welsh region again next season. Elsewhere on the weekend, um, Saracens beat Exeter 27 points to 10 in the Aviva Premiership final. Steph, um, Mark McCall, the, the Saracens director of rugby, has signed a new contract with the club. Will his target be next season to um, win the Champions Cup once again? I would have thought so. Um 
you know, it says a lot, doesn't it, that we sort of, a lot of people see this season from Sardisons as a sort of average season by their standard, but an average season for them is, it still consists of winning the, you know, the Aviva Premiership, one of the toughest domestic leagues in the world. So, you know, they, they had, they, you know, dip mid-season, that horrible loss at home to Claremont. Um, you know, they scraped into the knockers of Europe and they were well beat by Leicester, but they've regrouped and they won the Premiership against great Exeter teams. So, they're, they're good, they're a very good side. They, they had a large percentage of players in the England squad and the Lions squad, not just squad players, they were, key players for both England and the Lions so you know it looked like there was a bit of you know Maroi told you sort of brushed it off uh, you know with that ridiculous try celebration a few months ago but you know there's no doubt that the players have been a bit fatigued and some of their better players haven't been uh, at the races really um, you know they played alright but not, not as well as they can next season they should be a lot fresher so I think in terms of the Champions Cup um, you'd have to say that probably Leinster so probably Sarvesens might be the biggest threat to Leinster. Um, yeah, so I, I think they they really be looking to get the European Cup back. On Sunday in Twickenham as well, um, the Barbas beat England by 63 points to 45. Um, how worried do you think Eddie Jones should be if he's conceded that many points at home? It's not great, is it? Uh, obviously, a Barbarians game, it's not, it's not really a test match feel to it, is it? Uh, you know, it's a, it's a bit more of a pre-season sort of run-around type of game, really. Um, England makes a match themselves, but yeah, it's concerning. I mean, England seem to have really peaked a bit too early for the World Cup, if, if truth be told. They looked almost unbeatable last season. Uh, everybody, you know, desperate for England against the All Blacks. Now we're all desperate for Ireland against the All Blacks. So, but Gary Jones, you know, he's always, if you look throughout his career, wherever he's been, he started really strongly and then things have tailed off. That's a challenge for him, isn't it? Things are beginning to tail off. You know, they're fine margins. They're not a million miles away. They'll be a lot better against South Africa. But, you know, England are... They're going backwards at the moment. And um, in South Africa, they really, really need to find a way to stop that and, and get back on, on the winning road. Because the problem they got is they've been worked out now. Um, Fully Paula being back will help. But they need to adapt their game. And um, that's obviously a, a chance for the coaches more than the players. Uh, the pick for our games of the week in Super Rugby saw the Crusaders move five points clear in the New Zealand Conference, beating the Hurricanes by 24 points to 13. And then Montpellier beat Lyon 40 points to 14. And Racing lost to Castres 14-19 to set up a Montpellier against Castres top 14 final. And we'll be talking to um, journalist Paul Edison ahead of the top 14 final very, very shortly on the podcast. But first, Steph, um, the World Rugby Under-20s Championship begins this week. In France, depending on when you're listening to the podcast, they may already have started with fixtures. The first round of fixtures taking place on Wednesday. Uh, games uh, in the south of France uh, in Perpignan, Stade Général, Béziers, Stade de la Méditerranée, and also in Narbonne. Um, on a Welsh perspective of things, they face Australia, Japan, and holders and five-time winners in baby in the baby blacks. Um, how difficult is it going to be for Garrett Luce's side just to get out of the pool, Steph? Yeah, it's gonna to be tough. Um, you know, the baby blacks are always it's always them in England really, isn't it? As the as the two um sort of superpower at this level. Australia never push overs. 
I was going to say that Wales should beat Japan, but uh, they lost quickly in the Six Nations, obviously. So, you know, look, this this under twenty side's not performed very well, is it? Um, bitterly disappointing Six Nations, but you know they. I watched them against South Africa and buying the closed doors training match a few weeks back, and that wasn't great either. So, you know, we've got to take into consideration that in terms of the Six Nations, they mixing a match and they were using it more as a as a tool to prepare for the World Cup. Uh, the side they got out against Australia it seems to be a lot stronger, but and obviously it's not not necessarily just about winning games at this level, really, isn't it? You know, it's about bringing players through for Wales and England. Obviously, have for example, have greater pool of players, so they're more able to get instant results. But that doesn't necessarily mean that all their players will go through to play Test rugby at senior level, whereas perhaps Wales, who haven't performed as well might have a couple of players who are late to developers and they'll go through. Um, you know, and obviously because England, um, you know, have always have a bigger pack at this level. Uh, but yeah, you know, this, it, it, I'm not confident they're going to do well because result says, recent result says that that's, that it's not, not the greatest under 20 side. But, um, you know, I spoke to Gary Lewis a few weeks ago and he, he was very optimistic about, um, about the, their chances in this competition. And, um, you know, I, th- I think if you know if they don't beat Australia in this first game, then that's uh, curtains already. So even though it's game one, this must win for me. The top three sides, uh, well, the top sides from all three pools advance, as well as the second best runners up to the semi-finals for a chance to win the whole thing, and then everyone else gets kind of whittled down into playoffs for f- for five for fifth and sixth position, etc., etc. One interesting thing about this Steph, is the World Rugby are planning on um, introducing tackle law uh, experimentations um one that's interesting that they're going to be um taking place the world under 20s trophy which doesn't have a host yet and there's no date set for it but one thing that's caused a bit of a stir within the rugby public and within journalists is the trial to um bring a law that all tackles must be below the nipple line which is lower than what it is now which is more shoulder height um above the shoulder height what, what what have you made of it? What have you made of this potential change in the rules? Um, not not particularly keen on it, really. Um, obviously, I'm not one of these that, that likes to say, "Oh, you know, the game's gone soft." Because I understand that first priority has to be player safety, and um, you know, obviously that it's done with the best intentions. But you know, you have you have to strike the right balance. Sometimes you have to say, "Well." Before going on to rugby field, they got to accept that they can get injured, and you know the the world rugby have clearly done as much as they can to safeguard the the players. And I just think you know you've got a lot of tackles now. It's very difficult to tackle somebody full on below the sort of unless you go for legs, obviously, which is not the best decision tactically. Uh, it's very difficult to tackle somebody below the sort of nipple line. It's it's really tough. Um, I don't know. Um, you know, you're gonna have players who tackle innocently without any intention of tackling high, and then they slip up, and suddenly it's a penalty. I, I don't know. I think we're we're hitting a real, real grey area here, and um, I'm not gonna jump to too harsh a judgment until um, you know, until we, we see it in action. But I don't know. I think it's um, it's not great. And then another thing to keep an eye out on in the World Rugby in the 20s Championship which is the top level of uh, junior rugby is that um, defenders and attackers need to be upright so they'll have they'll keep a lookout on the waist 
not being uh, bent or the individual not being bent at the waist height and also if there are if there's a player that is seen to uh, have two two strikes or, or make two two dangerous tackles then that's an automatic uh, one match ban which can be appealed potentially Steph, let's look ahead to this week's ends fixtures with our hashtag games of the weekend. Let's also say a big hello to at Paul Edison, who joins us also. Hi, Paul. Hi, guys. Paul, um, we've got you on to, to look ahead, firstly, to the top 14 final, which takes place at, st- at the start of France on Saturday night as Montpellier play Castres. Firstly, for people maybe who haven't followed the top 14 this season, what sort of state are both teams in going, going into this final? Um, well, it's quite a, a contrast. I mean, not in terms of current form, but uh, in terms of the season as a whole, Montpellier have been top of the table since, I think, round four or five. So they've been kind of the dominant team throughout the top 14. Um, they've broken the record for most tries scored in a season. They've just been kind of almost untouchable, especially at home. They've been pretty pretty tough to beat. Um, Cass, as they usually do, kind of, ground their way they had a very good period where they won seven or eight in a row just around Christmas and looked like they were going to be a, a force and then kind of fell off and looked like they might miss out altogether and kind of scraped in on the final day of the season um, but since then I mean Montpellier were automatically qualified and very impressive beating Lyon on Friday night in the semi-final Cast went to Toulouse and won um, doing very well kind of really shutting down the Toulouse attack and then kind of ground out a victory against Racing at the weekend where they uh, they had a pretty remarkable kind of 10-15 minute passage on their own line where they stopped Racing, granted a Racing team missing a few players and uh, and still recovering from that Champions Cup final. But uh, um, no, very, very kind of impressive from Christophe Rios' team to kind of to get to where they are. Montpellier coached by um, former Scotland and Clermont head coach Vern Cotter. Just how much of an impact has Cotter had at the Altra Stadium, it's um, it's been an interesting one. They've kind of they obviously had Jake White in charge last year, and they were very um, very direct, very kind of a South African style, as you'd expect, kind of with their big ball carriers. And I think a few people thought they were maybe a little bit limited in what they offered. Um, they've still got all those ball carriers, and Cotter's not completely ignored them. But you're starting to see his kind of style get introduced a little bit. Um, especially with the dominance of their pack, um, Pinar and Cruden were able to kind of just control things at the weekend. And um, they just, it feels like they're quite hard to to cope with just because they, they're so big and so strong. And then they can unleash um, some pretty dangerous backs as well. Um, and then Christophe Urias, he joined Cast from um, Oyana a few years ago now. What's he done? What's he changed at the Stade Pierre-Antoine? Uh, so, Orios is quite an interesting. He's very much kind of a, a, a man manager. Um, he like he'll leave the kind of the technical aspect a little bit more to his um, to his assistants, but he's kind of making sure that he's got the right kind of team spirit and the, the players who are play going to play for him. Um, I heard today some interesting stuff about when he was at Oyana. He used to um, he get them in pre get the t- players in pre season. They had to walk all the way across. Um, the entire county or the département um, of Lain, and then they'd kind of have to, if they were going through a, f- a, f- a farm, they'd have to kind of carry hay bales across the farm and have all sorts of things to get them together. And apparently at Castres this season, he did it with um, 
the they had to put on a play, um, and they were split into three different um, groups to, to put on a play. So it's, he's got some quite novel ideas in terms of how to to get his players um, to bond at the start of the season. But it seems that when it comes to the end of the year, they've uh, they've been able to kind of really come together. So uh, maybe worth uh, looking at for other people. <laughs> Steph, what have you made of both Montpellier and Casca's seasons? I think um, Montpellier disappointed me in in the Champions Cup. I thought, you know, if you look at their squad on paper, it's probably it's hundred percent one of the strongest squads in Europe. So I expected better there, but clearly they've they've regrouped and they've done exceptionally well in the top fourteen. And I think they they likely win it. Cast um, they. They seem to be one of the. I, I don't watch as much top fourteen as you two, but they tend to be one of these teams that really punch above their weight. They haven't got the financial clout of you know your Toulons, your Racings, and your Montpelliers, but they they seem to be you know a very well coached side, very difficult team to beat, and you know I admire that. And in terms of the Champions Cup next year, said earlier on that Saracens might be um, Leinster's biggest threat to retaining it. I think Montpellier. I mean, if you know, be caught a second season, so you, you know, you'll have had um, more time to plan. And I think you know, in terms of the squad they've got, I think they can be serious contenders to win, win Europe next season. Yeah, Paul. How would you assess Montpellier's chances of going, going into Europe next season and hopefully targeting, getting to a final in Newcastle? Uh, they they certainly will be contenders. Um, I know Leo Cullen mentioned them um, after the, the victory over the Scarlets. He kind of named Jeff Saracens and Montpellier as the two teams that that could cause a lot of problems. Um, you look at guys in that pack with Pickamol playing well, Philemsa, Bismarck, uh, presumably Jacques Duplessis will be back. You, you've got a lot of carrying power, um, and then Cruden with another year to kind of settle in, and Nemanja Nandolo who might finish at the top scoring. Um, player in Europe if he gets two tries this weekend um, there's there's definitely the talent there um, whether they can live with Leinster and Saracens when they're at their absolute best I don't know but if they get the right group and a couple of home games then they will be pretty tough to stop I'm getting the impression here that you're eking towards a Montpellier victory but on Saturday night where how do you think Cast could beat Montpellier? I think you you need to kind of you obviously you need to slow those those big guys down pretty quickly. Um, they it was quite tight in the first game they played against each other in cast um, in the return fixture. Montpellier were were absolutely dominant, but I think Cast have a team who they can they can play with a, a pretty high intensity. Um, that's what they did against Toulouse. So they were just kind of slowing everything down at the ruck. They were really putting pressure on at the breakdown. Um, and if you do that, maybe you can kind of put them under a bit of pressure. Leon just didn't have the the energy or, or the players really to do that last week. And, and as soon as kind of Pinar can just sit there and dictate play, there's not a huge amount you can do. But put them under a bit of pressure early on and maybe that'll, that will maybe cause a few issues. They've, they've been a very good team this year. They haven't always been an 80-minute team. Mobilia um, are still red hot favourites, but maybe Cass could uh, could kind of disrupt them a little early on, and that could uh, could maybe uh, mix things up a bit. Okay, then, and before Paul, before I let you go, what is your prediction for Saturday night's top fourteen final? Uh, I'd say Montpellier by about 
10 to 15 points. So, comfortable enough. All right, and Steph, how do you think it'll go? I agree with that, Montpellier, but about 12 to 15. All right, Paul, thank you very much for coming on this week's episode of the Rugby Conversation. Are you going over to Paris for the game at all, or...? Uh, no, I uh, can't make it this time, sadly. But I'll be uh, I'll be watching well watching the twenties tomorrow, and then watching the um, that game on Saturday. So it should be fun. All right, perfect. Thank you very much. Cheers. Yeah, so the the top fourteen final takes place on Saturday night at quarter to eight. If you're in the UK and Ireland, you can watch it on Sky Sports. Steph, the first um, test match of the uh, June series takes place. In all, all of places in, in Washington DC at the RFK Stadium as Wales play South Africa. Let's start with comments that former Wales captain Gwyn Jones made that he said it, it was a shambles of a fixture and that the match devalued international rugby based upon the fact that there weren't that many players or individuals or top quality players available for, available for both sides. How much would you agree or disagree with what Jones said? I think he's got a strong point, doesn't he? Um, obviously, uh, I think there's too much international rugby, really. I mean, it's going to be boring. You're know, playing all these games and there's not much meaning to them, really. Um, you know, it's, it's it's a game that Wales will be under strength. South Africa will be under strength after the Welsh squad, you know, playing for the Scarlets. My opinion, if some of the Scarlet players play next week, that's a serious uh, breach of player welfare, in my opinion. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I can see exactly where he's coming from, but I can also see where the WIU were coming from, you know, with the revenue for to fund the professional game, the grassroots game comes from playing test matches, and uh, one can only assume that they've been given, a, you know, uh, quite a lot of money to play this game, but uh, certainly I think, um, you know, uh, Jones's comments... Um, you know, they, they hold up to scrutiny. On to matters on the field. Um, there'll be no Aaron Shingler for Wales because he um, was injured in the Grand Guinness Pro 14 final. He was replaced by Cardiff Blues' Josh Turnbull within the squad. How much of a blow is that for him maybe as an individual? Because he could potentially... He played quite a bit in Six Nations, but knowing that Justin Tipperick will come back in November... Etc. Etc. How much of a chance was it? Would it potentially have been for Shingler to really, really, you know, put a marker down to Warren Gatland and put his hand up to let him know that yeah, I'm here and I'm here to stay. Yeah, I'm disappointed for him. I mean, it's it's a big blow. I mean, Aaron Shingler has worked extremely hard over the past couple of seasons to get up to the level he's at now. Um, you know. In regional rugby, you know, in Welsh rugby, a lot of players come through the academy system and they get given it on a plate. But he's had to really work hard, hasn't he? You know, his first level was cricket, came to rugby fairly late, went up through the ranks, and he's he, he's, you know, he's ahead of an athlete. He's always had that raw talent. But there was always people saying, oh, he's a very good regional player, but perhaps he's not international. But since Pivot's been internationally, he's gone to the next level, isn't he, as a player? He's got all our athleticism he used to have, but he's got real grunt in his game. And uh, he's, he's been a key, key player for the Scarlets, and he's been very good for Wales. So, from his point of view, it's, it's a big blow because he's the man in possession of the blindside jersey with Wales. Um, Wales won't, you know, obviously, any player again injured is a blow for Wales, but they can cope because obviously Ross Moriarty's there, Lydia's back. Um, but the Scarlets would feel it more, I think, because 
he's he's their main source of light, not ball, and he's been a key player for them. But you know, Touchwood, you probably only be out for six, seven months. We're talking, we're probably talking Christmas time or the New Year. So there's still enough time to to make a World Cup squad. Um, so um, yeah, it's a blow for him, but hopefully um, he can rest up and come back um, strong as he was. And having a rest might be a blessing in disguise for someone yeah. who's, who's featured so often, especially this Very season true. for the Scarlets and for Wales. Um, <coughs> the Springboks will be captained by Peter Steff Dutoy, um, uh, 25-year-old loose forward. He'll play across the back one also uh, lock. But South Africa will also play three more tests this June where Sir Colisi, the back row, will captain against England. He'll become the first black player to captain the Springboks in a full test match. How much of a big step is this for South African rugby? I think um, it's got to be done for the right reasons, isn't it? You know, you don't pick players um, as captain because of the colour of their skin, but Khaleesi is is a very good player and I think he thoroughly deserves to be there. Um, you know, I've, I've always thought he was quite underrated. Enjoy watching him play for the Stormers. Very physical player, quite dynamic. And yeah, I suppose it is, it is a step forward for South African rugby, but as I said... He's there not because of his skin colour. He's there because he's a very good lead and he's a very good player. And uh, yeah, I think it's a uh, it's a good choice. Razi Erasmus has taken over at the Springboks as well, Steph. Um, how much will he want to start positively, considering all that surrounded his <clears throat> appointment and then everything that happened with Alistair Katia coming out and maybe throwing his toys out the pram? Um, how much would he just want? He just wants to get a win, doesn't he? Uh, yeah, obviously, you know, first test is. Springbok coach, you want to get off to a good start, don't you? Um, it's a big tour of England, and then there's a big rugby championship campaign. But I got a, got a funny feeling about South Africa. You know, you know they, they've they've been quite poor the last few years, been some embarrassing defeats, if if we're being honest. But there's some good play, there's still some good players in South Africa. Some players that, you know, honestly, I could see, uh, you know, he got selection wrong. It's debatable how good a coach he was, and you know, Raz Erasmus is is a terrific coach. We all know that. I just just have this feeling that you know they could be a real dark horse in the World Cup, and um, you know with England plateauing a bit, um, and South Africa with a new coach, all the honeymoon period stuff. He's picking players playing in Europe, so it's going to be stronger. Yeah, I think I think this this campaign against Wales and England, and then the Rugby Championship, they they could emerge as a, as a real dark horse. I think for the World Cup. So how? How worried are you considering what could happen on Saturday? If by what you're saying is you you feel that there's some positive things coming out from the Springboks camp on Wales's team for the fixture in Washington is quite inexperienced. I expect we I expect South Africa to win. Um, I think they're they're not their strongest side, but I think it's stronger than the one Wales have put out. As I said, I think some of these scarlet players. Playing the cup final and then they had to fly out five in the morning. I don't particularly agree with that. Um, I don't know how half of them made the flight either. Sorry. I don't know how half of them made the flight if they no, enjoyed the no, night in Dublin. Um, you know, the, they're not the same as the other players from the other regions because they've they've been the key players for Wales and they played Champions Cup rugby. So and, much. And then they quantity got and quality is fourteen. So they need a they need a rest, man. You know. The, they they should shouldn't really be involved on Saturday. They should keep him for Argentina, but no doubt they will be involved because uh, obviously uh, you know there's only a certain amount of players they can have in the squad. But I don't know how how fit they're going to be. 
and they're clearly going to be a bit fatigued. Um, there's certain players in the squad, you know, we're, we're trying to find out about. We're not sure whether they're international class or not, or whether they're ready or not. Uh, you know, Wales have got some good young talent, but again, you know, it's a big step up, and um, yeah, you know, it's it's not the most inspiring test match, is it? But yeah, I think South Africa are the are the fears of the sun. And the fixture will be broadcast in the UK on Channel Four kickoff at ten o'clock. Um, Eddie Butler will be commentating, which a lot a lot of people will be excited about, alongside Martin Williams. But Steph, um, there's talks of them trying to get some young or recently retired pundits within within the Channel Four broadcast. People like Alan Wynne Jones or even Ken Owens have been um, touted. Are you looking forward to see what what Channel Four might do with rugby and how they would treat it, considering they also have the Champions Cup? Rights next season. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, look. Um, yeah, I, I think you know. Obviously, um, as you said, they're going to have more rugby. They're, they're, they're fairly new players, aren't they, in rugby terms? Um, so it'd be nice to see what they like. Some, you know, it's nice to hear new voices or whatnot. And um, yeah, uh, I'm, you know, I'm not really one sort of guy that. You know, I don't. It's not the end of the world if um, the commentators aren't great. But yeah, I suppose it'd be nice to hear a new voice and uh, yeah, see see what happens. Okay, and then in Super Rugby, which is the last round of uh, fixtures before all the June tests do kick off in a fortnight's time, sees um, the Highlanders play against the Hurricanes at 25 to nine on Friday morning. There's four rounds to go of the competition generally, so they're looking quite well as well and then also this weekend you've got the London Sevens World Series taking place uh, Wales in a group with Australia uh, Spain and Ireland um, Steph Lloyd Williams Corey Allen Jason Harris and Jared Rosser who are all seen as maybe more 15 aside specialists as opposed to 7 aside specialists have been called in to Gareth Williams' squad for the tournament Um does this signal something about, especially someone like Lloyd Williams and Corey, Corey Williams, who are full 15 senior internationals with Wales as well? Um, yeah, maybe it's a chance for them to hone their skills. Um, obviously, uh, you know, I, I just think Sam's is a good tool, isn't it? I mean, a lot of players, you know, they might be stagnating. Corey Allen, obviously, uh, hasn't had the best season with the Ospreys. Lloyd has been in and out of the Blues team. So, obviously, you know, it's, it's a nice chance to work on their skills to, to get a bit of confidence back. And, um, you know, they, these players are relatively fresh, aren't they? You know, they haven't played as much rugby as others. So, uh, I think it's a good move. And, um, you know, it's good for Sam's game as well. The players, are, you know, they respect it. They respect what it's about. They haven't thought, oh, you know, I'm some summer off, can't be bothered for this. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a positive move. Looking forward to watching them play. And we could potentially see them take place, um, take the field in the uh, Sevens World Cup that takes place in San Francisco uh, over the summer. Uh, just to keep an eye on, it's Fiji and South Africa and New Zealand will probably win the whole thing. And then um, with well, a leg in London this weekend and then a leg in Paris next week. So it's really hotting up with that things. But Steph, that's it for this week's episode of the Rugby Conversation. If Oh, thank you for listening, whoever's listened and downloaded. If you want to react to anything that has been said on the podcast, either by Steph, myself or uh, Paul Edison, you can do so on Twitter at The Rugby Convo or on Facebook, just searching The Rugby Conversation. Leave us your reviews on iTunes and SoundCloud on the Read the Best, one out, best Ones Out 
but we'll catch you next weekend to reflect on the South Africa test and also to preview um, a weekend where we'll have so much international rugby going on. It'll be coming out of our ears. Catch you then. Ciao, ciao.